Well, good to be with you tonight here. If you're visiting, my name's Matt. Always glad to have you join us. I'm carrying us through the teaching time uh, today, but before we get into that, uh, I want to tell you some exciting news about Easter. It may seem early to talk about Easter, um, but I wanted to let you know that we are going to be celebrating Easter here this year. Um, So some of you might wonder, why aren't we going back to the Civic or to some other venue? Uh, So I want to give you some some details real quick. Just, just, well, not a lot of details, but a little bit of how we got uh, to that decision. So the Civic was great, but it's booked uh, for some television filming that particular weekend. Uh, So we looked for other places. We looked at the Rose Bowl. We looked at the Santa Anita racetrack. Um, We looked at school campuses. We looked everywhere. Um, But sometimes there's just no place like home. And uh, so we have a plan to maximize our space, make room for as many people as possible. Um, So I want to invite you to begin thinking about who's God put in your path that you might pray for and invite to join you to hear the gospel at Easter here and this uh, on this campus that weekend. And by the way, you might also know that Easter this year falls on April 1st, April Fool's Day. So the message isn't even written yet, but it's already titled The Greatest April Fool's Joke of All Time. Um, <laughs> Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it, but wanted you to know about that plan. There will be some more details and ways that you can even be involved in that weekend uh, that we'll tell you about in weeks to come. Well, let's jump into this series uh, that we started last week called Talk About It, talking about the gospel. Talking about the gospel has the power of God to save people's lives and change the world. It's been happening for 2,000 years. Uh, it just keeps happening as people make Jesus and make the gospel a topic of their conversation. I want to help us as a church, as people, to become conversational evangelists, people who love to talk about it and see God use our conversations to save lives and change the world. Let me ask you something as we get into this. Do you know your mailman or woman? How many of you know by name your mailman or your woman? How many of you have no idea who you just, the mail arrives, right? Well, I happen to know my mailman. In fact, Lindsay and I and our kids love our mailman. His name is Tom. And I am convinced the guy is the best mailman since the Pony Express. He is amazing. He doesn't just deliver our mail. If we're home, he will come and knock on our door and hand us our mail and greet us by name. He's seen birthday cards come at certain times of the year, so he's learned our kids' birthdays and will wish them happy birthday. He's the most personable, friendly mailman I've ever encountered. We love the guy. I I don't know about your mailman, but our mailman is amazing. And here's what makes the difference. He doesn't just deliver our mail. He makes certain 
we receive our mail. You, you see the difference? Now, why am I telling you about my mailman? Because in the earliest movement of Christianity, people knew they had encountered the Savior of the world. And they could not keep this to themselves. And so they started sending one one another to different places to tell others about Jesus. And those who were sent to talk about it were called apostles, which is a word related to postal carriers. They were mailmen and mailwomen. When we talk about the Gospel, when we tell others about Jesus, we're delivering the message. And there's more to it than just delivering it. Like my mailman, we need to pay attention to how the message is received. That's a, that's a compassionate approach to telling others about Jesus. Great evangelists talk about Jesus and the Gospel with compassion. So last week, we talked about the importance of confidence, but I want us to explore tonight the importance of compassion and how compassion helps us talk about Jesus in a way that can change lives. Let's just pause for a minute and and ask our compassionate God to help us with this. Lord, we want to open our hearts and our minds to You tonight. We want to hear what You have to say to us. And so I pray that by Your Spirit and by Your Word, You'd speak to us tonight and make of us compassionate people that look more like You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, compassion was a characteristic of Jesus. Jesus really championed compassion in his lifetime. And one of his, it's one of his favorite topics of conversation with his disciples. And I want us to understand this word. And the way we're going to understand it tonight is by de- uh, diving deeply into one particular story that we have in the New Testament of a man who encounters Jesus. And we're going to learn from this story what compassion looks like. So if you want to grab your bulletin, you can look at the verses on the screen if you don't have one. Let's look at Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through the town, and there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. 
Then if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. That's a a way of saying a man of faith. For the Son of Man, He came to seek and save those who are lost. All right, let's talk about Zacchaeus for a minute. The chief tax collector in the region. Now, this isn't just his occupation. This title, chief tax collector, could could also be said he's the biggest jerk in town. A tax collector was someone in the Jewish community who cheated his own people out of more money than they owed the Roman occupying government so that the tax collector could pocket a percentage of what he collected. So the more money the tax collector could scare and threaten out of the people, the richer they got. And so this guy gets a kick out of making others around him feel small. Which, by the way, might have something to do with his size. He's a shorty. He's a little punk with a big bank account and his neighbors can't stand him. And so it's no surprise that when Jesus comes to town, Zacchaeus wants to size him up. He's heard about this rabbi who people say has the power of God who might be the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. They say when Jesus teaches, He has a kind of authority that no man or woman ever had and you never know what will happen. And so Zacchaeus sees a crowd form in the city to see Jesus arrive there. No crowd for all his money ever gathered for Zacchaeus. No one ever sought him out. So Zacchaeus, in a cynical, skeptical fit, runs to see who's this hick from Nazareth that everybody's talking about. Only Shorty can't see through the crowd. And nobody is going to make room for him. So overtaken with curiosity, Zacchaeus, this grown man, climbs a tree to get a look at Jesus. And here's what he's expecting. He's expecting nothing. Jesus will walk past and never know there's a man overtaken with curiosity watching him from the tree above. No one ever noticed Zacchaeus. They made a point not to notice him. But suddenly, right beneath them, Jesus stops and bends his neck and looks right into this hated man's eyes. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name. And now all eyes are on Zacchaeus, little, little shorty, big man in the tree. And, and, and Jesus says to him, get out of the tree. Come, come down here. So Zacchaeus, he, he, he climbs down. He's shocked. He was not expecting this. And he's certainly not expecting the next words he hears. Jesus says, I must be a guest in your house today. I must. Not can I be a guest. Not I'd like to be a guest. I must 
be a guest in your house today. I've come here for you, Zacchaeus. I came this way to this town on this day under this tree for you. I have to see you. I have to come visit you. I have something for you that I must give you, that I must tell you. Zacchaeus is undone by this. This calloused, lonely, hated man is so surprised that this rabbi wants to come to his house, wants to know him, that he takes off with Jesus. And the crowd is stunned and baffled by what they just saw of all the people in town that Jesus would talk to and visit. This is absurd. This is proof that Jesus is a sellout. He's a phony. We thought He was the Messiah, but look at Him going to Zacchaeus' house. He's not here for us. He just came to rub shoulders with the rich guy who's in bed with Rome. He's just here for the money, they think. Now Jesus will eventually address that accusation with another crowd later. You see this story in your bulletin as well when he visits the home of another man and he has to say to the crowd, look, look, you're missing the whole point of me being here. Matthew's Gospel tells us, Jesus says to them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this Scripture. I desire compassion. That's our word. And not sacrifice. For I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The crowd doesn't get what he's doing at Zacchaeus' house, but in the meantime, he's having a life-changing talk with this man. The community has no idea what's about to happen to the guy they love to hate, but while they don't get it, Zacchaeus is turning his life upside down with Jesus. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much, which is actually a reference to an Old Testament law. If if a thief was caught, they would give back four times as much. Zacchaeus is saying, I'm a thief as he stands before the Lord. Two things are happening in this statement he makes. First, Zacchaeus is acknowledging that he's a cheat. He's a sinner. And he's repenting. He's turning away from sin and trusting Jesus with his future. He's repenting. And second, he calls Jesus Lord. That's what people call Jesus when they acknowledge His divinity. When they believe in Him, when they believe that in Him they are seeing and encountering God, they call Him Lord. And so Zacchaeus turns away from his sin and accepts Jesus as Lord. And Jesus says, salvation has just shown up at Zacchaeus' house. Jesus in this story is putting into action the meaning of the word compassion. The word compassion can be defined in its Latin origin to suffer with. 
to enter into the suffering with someone is to show them compassion. Zacchaeus, for all his wealth and power, he had lost any semblance of community and acceptance. He had cheated and wrecked every relationship he ever had. And he lives in the depth of loneliness that comes from destroying relationships. And Jesus, out of compassion, enters into that place of loneliness and says, I must be in your home with you. You must not be left in your sinful den of loneliness. I must get in there with you and break that loneliness and forgive your sin and free you from the hell you have built. That's compassion. To get in there. Jesus was willing to suffer with this man. Suffer even the hatred of the crowds with Him so that He might rescue him. That's compassion. The word has another meaning. In Greek, it's a word that means to be moved deep in the gut. To do something to help someone. I remember several years ago, Mark talking about Popeye theology. You remember the old cartoon, Popeye the Sailor Man? And he would see somebody in danger, usually his wet noodle girlfriend, olive oil, right? <laughs> and you, do you remember what he would say? That's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. That's the Greek picture of compassion. Popeye. I see you hurting. I see you needing. I see you lost. I see you lonely. And I feel it in my gut that I can't stand to not do nothing. I must do something. The Gospel stories tell us time after time that Jesus saw the blind and the sick and the sinners and the hungry and the tired and the lost and the oppressed and the outcasts and the lonely and He was moved. He had to reach to them and touch them and heal them and call them and save them. He could stand it no more. That's compassion. But there's one more meaning of this word we need to know. And it's the Hebrew meaning of compassion. Because Jesus was born into the Hebrew people. And at this point in the story, He's revealing God's love to the Hebrew people. And the Hebrew word for compassion meant to bend your neck. To show compassion was to bend towards someone in need. And here's Jesus coming into Jericho, gripped in His gut by an overwhelming desire to rescue this sinner named Zacchaeus. And He stops under this tree and He bends His neck to see Him. To acknowledge Him. Compassion is willing to turn and see someone in need and bend to help them know the saving love of God. 
To see people's lives changed in this world. To see this world changed by the power of the Gospel. We must be people moved with this kind of compassion to the point that we have to talk about it. We can't stand to not talk about it. We go out of our way to talk about it. And so let me give you a few practical ways that we can become compassionate, conversational evangelists who lead people to new life by talking about the Gospel. First practical point is this. See people. See people. A friend of mine, after reading this story of Zacchaeus a number of years ago, said to me, it makes me wonder who's in my trees. Who's in your trees? Who's watching how you live? Who's right there but you could pass right by? God's put them in your path. Will you bend your neck to see them and invite them to a conversation about Jesus? I have a friend who does this so well. Her name is Carrie. Carrie's a single mother with a grown son who is in prison for a crime he committed when he was 22 years old. Carrie raised this boy the best she could with hopes of who he would be and what he would accomplish in life. And just on the brink of launching into the world when other sons and daughters were graduating from college and starting careers... Carrie's son was sentenced to spend his young adult years in prison. And you know that mama's heart was broken. But that mom's heart is also filled with the love of Jesus and the love for her son that she has. Carrie would regularly go to the prison to visit him. Now, put yourself in those shoes for a minute. You're going to go visit your son, but you have to ask for an appointment. You have to drive to the prison and pay for parking and walk into that place and wait to be permitted through multiple doors that open and lock shut behind you to sit in a crowded room with phones and plexiglass walls between you and your son. No privacy. Watched at all times by a guard. That's the time you spend with him. Then you have to leave and watch him waving goodbye behind that glass wall. Gut-wrenching. It would be so understandable for Carrie to resent having to go there. To walk in with her head down and not try not to acknowledge anyone around her. But that's not Carrie. Because the love of Jesus just just overflows from her. She is so compelled by the compassionate love she has received from Jesus and what she knows to be true about Him that her visits to her son in in prison routinely become prayer meetings for other visitors. She sees them. 
She looks them in the eye. She hears their stories. She could keep her head down, but she turns her head towards them instead. She tells them encouraging stories of God's faithfulness. She tells people how her son has found Jesus in prison and how good God has been to him. She offers to pray for them and to pray for God to show them the same kind of kindness He has shown to her. That's compassion. You can move through life with your head down and never see the Gospel and the power of God change a person's life. Bend your neck. Who's in your trees? See their pain. See their confusion. See their trouble. See their sin. See their helplessness. See their meanness. See them for who they are and bend with the saving love of Jesus to invite them to what they can be in His salvation. Talking about Jesus with a kind of compassion, that kind of compassion can see people's lives changed and the world changed. Second practical point of compassion is this. This kind of compassion requires that we apply the Gospel at the point of need. Like a mailman who doesn't just deliver the mail, but makes certain you received it. It's one thing just to tell the Gospel. It's another thing to see how the Gospel applies to someone and help them see that too. The Gospel can change a life when we apply it uniquely to someone's point of need. And so we see Jesus telling the Gospel over and over and over again to different people in different contexts with different applications for their lives. The message is the same. God has come to rescue us through the life, love, sacrifice, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That doesn't change, but that message gets applied in our lives uniquely. Sometimes Jesus would address physical needs and then spiritual needs. Sometimes He would address spiritual needs and then physical needs. Sometimes Jesus would talk about the Gospel in response to relational issues. And sometimes He'd talk about the Gospel in response to intellectual issues. It applies to our lives uniquely, though the message stays the same. The Gospel can be applied in so many unique ways. Jesus doesn't change. The cross doesn't change. The empty tomb doesn't change. His forgiveness and repentance and faith don't change. But the story of how the Gospel affects a person's life, that'll change from person to person. We need to see one another and we need to recognize how the Gospel is good news to one another. When we talk about the Gospel with that kind of compassion, people's lives can get changed. And the third practical point I want to give you is this. We need to invite. Compassion invites. Now Jesus invited Himself to Zacchaeus' house. And, and you might not invite yourself to someone's house. Maybe you will. But you can invite them to your house. You can invite them to church with you. You can invite them to a conversation about Jesus. You can invite them to a retreat or for a walk 
around your neighborhood and make an opportunity to tell them about your faith. You can invite them to let you pray for them. One of the most compassionate moves you can make towards someone is to be with them and to invite them to be with you so that they might hear you talk about the life-saving, world-changing love of Christ. Jesus was moved. Jacob, would you come on up? Jesus was moved with compassion at the sight of human sadness. He was moved with compassion to give sight to the blind, to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to welcome the stranger, to forgive the sinner, to rescue the condemned. And He was moved with compassion to ask that we would join Him to be compassionately seeking the lost with Him. Matthew tells us in his Gospel, when Jesus saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And He said to His disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask Him to send workers into His fields. He calls on us to pray that God would send out an army of compassionate, Spirit-filled men and women to tell the world what God offers them through faith in His Son. And what's not in the bulletin, but you can read in your Bible, is that He doesn't only call us to pray, but in the very next chapter, in fact, it's the very next verse, Jesus calls those same people together who He said pray. He calls them together and sends them out to be part of the answer to that prayer. Pray and then go be part of the prayer being answered. Ask God to send out workers and then go put your work clothes on. Pray that people would hear of God and hear of His love. Pray that people would hear of Jesus' invitation. Pray that people would hear the life-saving, world-changing message of the Gospel and then go talk about it with confidence and compassion. If you know Jesus, you are called to be part of an army of compassion sent out as Gospel speakers, love-reachers, truth-talkers, grace-sayers, If you know the Gospel, then talk about it. In His compassion, God saw you. And He bent down for you. He suffered for you. And if you've received His compassion, talk about it. I want to praise His name before we go. I want to sing to our compassionate God with you before we leave. Would you just stand? And Jacob's going to lead us. And as we sing this song, I want you to just sing it as a way of thanking God for the compassion that you've received from Him. But I also want you to ask God as you're singing, who's in my trees, Lord, that needs your compassion? (laughs) 